This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this week, we are going to talk to a old member who's now a new member in our public agencies in Oklahoma. Um, I am joined by Jay Doyle, the CEO of the newly established Service Oklahoma. Jay, welcome to your first appearance on the Ambicast. Ian, thanks so much. Excited to be here. So I want to chat with you because it's something that happens occasionally, but I would say certainly more a rarity than a regular thing where we see member agencies merge, rearrange organizations, um, especially to the extent and the overhaul that's recently occurred in Oklahoma that's resulted in a new state agency service, Oklahoma. So talk to me about the history um, to the degree that you were a part of it or aware of it that led the public officials in Oklahoma to take what were DMV functions, if you will, that were previously dispersed into different state agencies and bring it together into one one focused center. Yes, no, no, absolutely. And so um, really, I think this stems from our residents' expectation of government services needing to be better. And so um, really ties back to frustrations of citizens, specifically during COVID, of not being able to get government services when they needed them and where they needed them. And so I think that it, the, our legislators and, and our, our members of, of our executive branch, um, the number one call they were getting during, during COVID was really about citizens just struggling to get basic core government services they need to live their daily lives. And so that was really the genesis was the frustrations that started there. Um, and so as they started to take a deeper look and say, hey, what are the ways that we can solve the short-term challenges of the influx of traffic and the capacity challenges that we have? And so our state set up some mega centers to kind of band-aid the fix, but it really uncovered some underlying challenges of, of how we actually just distribute and, and provide those services for our citizens. And so they wanted to take a look at a longer-term approach. What's the, the way that we can put our citizens at the center of everything that we do to provide them a best-in-class customer experience? And so that really led to about a year-long journey. And so the governor appointed me I guess this is back in July of 2021 to start looking and working with our legislative partners to determine what is the, the right approach for the state of Oklahoma long-term to deliver these services. And so from there, really, when, when I took the role, I, I didn't know where it would go or what, what it would lead to. And, and never in my wildest dreams would it lead to, to creating a brand new state agency. Um, I think it was really a, hey, what are the things that are missing? How can we sit here and infuse resources here, there, someplace in between? Um, but as we really started looking at, and, and we really kind of, I think, had three major components of this transition that, that need to be considered. And so for the state of Oklahoma, we had our driver's license services, part of our Department of Public Safety. We had our motor vehicle services, which were part of the Oklahoma Tax Commission. And then we had the third party providers of these services were what were called motor license agents at the time, or referred to as tag agents, et cetera, which are, are privately held um, third-party providers of these services. And so you have these three different major stakeholders that are delivering these services in very different ways and different means throughout the, the different channels that we have to deliver deliver services. And so um, as we started looking at what's the best way to actually deliver these long-term, 
Um, it made sense to create a centralized location for these services to be distributed from. And as we actually started looking at it and, and saw the pain points that existed in, a, in the stereotypical DMV services, we realized that these pain points really existed in a lot of the other transactions that we provide as a state as well. And so the long-term ideas of Service Oklahoma is how can we provide or, or facilitate government services for our citizens across the full spectrum, really starting with your stereotypical DMV services. But the vision is certainly not to limit the scope to the DMV transactions. It's supposed to be more of a all things government portal, if you will. I think that's one way of looking at it. And I think we view it really as let's put the citizen first. And if I'm a citizen in the state of Oklahoma, what services do I need and how do I want to consume those services? And if we're thinking at it through that lens and that viewpoint, how can we then determine how are we going to provide those services to those citizens? And so um, I'd say that it really is a, an omni-channel approach. So it's not just a digital first or digital only. It's not just an in-person, in-person only. It's not just a, hey, let's provide a unified kind of call center, support center. It's how can we provide an omni-channel approach for our citizens so that they know where to go, how to consume services in a consistent, excellent manner. Mm. So you've, you're starting, though, with the, as you refer to them, the traditional DMV transactions in terms of driver licensing, vehicle registration, titling, bringing that out of DPS and particularly the, the tax office. Um, how did you tackle the role of those third party private entities in terms of are they still part of delivering the services or is that also coming to service Oklahoma? Yep. No. So those third party providers were historically governed by our tax commission. Um, and so those have now been transitioned over to be governed by Service Oklahoma as well. And that model is actually shifting a little bit. So they were um, traditionally independent private third party operators that could had very little um, restrictions, guidelines, requirements of how they actually provided these services. And so we've really transitioned that model as well and, and really took a look of saying we have 250 locations across the state that are already up and running and operating. There's no need for the state to invest in a large increase in a physical footprint or to destroy this infrastructure we actually already have in place. Let's utilize it. Let's make the best use that we possibly can and really try to optimize it and make it provide a better experience for our citizens as well. And so we've really transitioned those third-party providers into, into licensed operators now. So it's more traditionally, we traditionally view as a kind of a franchise model. And so we're trying mm -hmm. to create a, a unified look and feel and touch point for our citizens as they kind of get across the finish line for those services. And also using that as the, the infrastructure of how can we funnel more services through these locations? There's no reason why some of the other state offices need to be opening um, a physical footprint or a front door to citizens across the state when we, we already have the infrastructure in place. Let's utilize it. So what are some examples of that beyond the DMV space that you might be looking to leverage those third parties for? Yeah, no. So I think that in the in the early going, it's it's really a little bit of a fact finding mission. But I mean, I think a yeah. perfect example long term could be something like vital records, for example. Okay. Uh, if I'm needing to get a, a real ID, one of the, the documents I might need to have is a birth certificate. And so if I need a birth certificate, why do I need to go try to track a different state office to go and actually obtain that that birth certificate as well? Why can't I actually have that in the same place I actually obtain my uh, my real ID? So I think yeah. that's one example. Um, I think another a couple other examples that we've looked at in the past is. If I'm sitting here and I'm renewing my, my car registration or my driver's license, and I also have some sort of a professional license, for example, a, a nursing license or a maybe I have a hunting and fishing license or something along those lines, why can't I renew that at the same time? Why do I have to make yeah. a second stop and have a second transaction? So yeah. how can we bundle transactions? How can we, you know, in a private sector term, how can I upsell a citizen? And I'm not trying to upsell a citizen. It's the services they need, but they all want it at the, at the same time. So how can we be the facilitator and the provider of that? where they can obtain those at the same time. Yeah. 
Now the ta- the the tax office or the local third parties that taxes were overseeing, uh, that was previously strictly the vehicle registration and titling side, or already included some driver licensing transactions. So it, it, it did encompass no, it so it encompassed the driver's license side as well. Now it didn't do all the DL transactions, um, but it did do a, a, a large majority of the driver's license transactions, and that actually is one of the big pain points we saw in the past as well as. Those third-party providers are getting training from two different locations. They're right. getting support from two different locations. They're having reporting to two different locations. Um, there's a lot of finger pointing back and forth when one, you know, when tax was saying they needed to do something and the DPS was saying do something mm-hmm. else. Um, so this is also, as we want to better serve the citizens, we also need to be better serving the providers of our services. And so um, we view one of our big customers as our third-party providers, and we need to be sure yeah. that we're doing a really good job of, of providing them the support when they're open, um, giving them the proper training, the proper tools for them to be successful as well. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about the scope of the integration in terms of now the size of this age, the, the new agency as it relates to, you know, the pieces that came over from DPS, the pieces that came over from tax, how many employees had to transition out of those agencies into this new agency and how you develop the structure for new service Oklahoma? No, and that's, that's a great question. I think that's something that has really often gotten overlooked when we're talking about Service Oklahoma as a whole. I think a lot of the expectation is, hey, Service Oklahoma started on this day. You guys should be perfect up and running and everything going fantastically <laughs> smooth. And it's, um, the, it was a very, very heavy lift to take two large portions of existing agencies, pulling them out of those agencies and combining them. And so yeah. it's a little bit of a timeline. So uh, the legislature passed House Bill 3419 back in May of 2022 that created Service Oklahoma as, as a whole. Um, on November 1st, we started to administer driver's license services on behalf of the state. And so what that actually means is we transitioned about 250 employees from the Department of Public Safety and there are 30 locations across the state. And those are state run um, driver's license facilities. Mm-hmm. Then on January 1st, we transitioned the motor vehicle services from the Oklahoma Tax Commission. And so we transitioned about 95 employees from the Tax Commission, as well as the governance of those 250 third party offices. Mm-hmm. So as of today, we have roughly 375 employees in about 280 locations across the state. And so I think one of the big pieces is we inherited or transitioned the frontline employees from those two agencies, but they obviously have to keep running and, and fulfilling their actual you know, true missions, which you know, Department of Public Safety is the public safety highway trooper side of things. Um, for the tax commission, it's the administering of the over 70 other ty- tax types for the state of Oklahoma as well. And so we actually didn't get the leadership or support staff with that as well. And so we actually had to spin up and build up the HR, IT, mm. financial services, admin services type of type of roles. And so um, we really viewed it, especially in the, the early part of we have a, a startup inside of state government. And that's the mindset we've kind of tried to drive home with as well as, hey, we really are a startup. Um, that's inheriting these other kind of cultures and pieces, but we really have to be nimble and agile and get up and going really quickly. So it's funny you mentioned the word culture, because that's where I was going to ask you about next. You know, here you are inheriting what is probably two different cultures, trying to create a new culture that sounds like you're trying to lean into a entrepreneur startup type culture, which, you know, maybe isn't always a natural fit for somebody coming out of a long-term established state government culture. No, and it's, it's absolutely one of our biggest challenges. And I think that there, there's a, it, you know, as you transition employees, you move some employees and that have been with those, their, their existing agencies for 30 plus years. It's the only thing they've ever known. Um, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. I think change is hard for anybody. And so during the transition period, we want to, that was a really big focus of, of ours is 
making sure that we're trying to really gauge the pulse of the employees that we're transitioning over. How can we better serve them? How can we use them in, in making them owners of what we're creating at Service Oklahoma? And so, yeah, we really are a startup. We really are trying to make this the, the best thing we can for, for the citizens of the state of Oklahoma. How can we sit here and use our employees as advocates, as also use them and, and use their knowledge to make us uh, better at what we do? And yeah. so we were host, we hosted, we created influencers across the, the organizations from the bottom of the top and everywhere in between. Um, try to have town halls almost you know every other week. We're doing pulse checks to say, hey, where are we hitting the mark? Where do we need to be better at? Um, but yes, trying to really mold those two different cultures that came over, as well as the third culture, which really was our startup team that created Service Oklahoma. You had three different cultures kind of going. It's an ongoing battle that we you know still are, are working through today. Is you know we really want to view it you know as we want to be partners with our community. We want to be authentic. I mean, we want to be sure that we're treating each other and our citizens and our partners as our family, our friends, and our neighbors. Um, we wanna be reliable to our citizens. You know, we need to be the, the people that they can trust is gonna give them the right information in the first time. Um, and then we just need to be trusted partners with the rest of the state. And I think those are, those are kind of some of the, the core values we're trying to, to bleed into our, our employees and our, our mission across the board. So as you went through this, what was the, the outreach, the feedback you were getting from some of those partners? You know, how did you go through this process and what are you hearing from the outside, whether it's those third party private entities or the agencies that are handing off these pieces? Um, I'm sure some of it was a very willingness. Yes, take it. We've got this other mission. And maybe in some other places, there was some reluctance to let it go. Yeah. And so I think that in general, across the state, there is very little I don't think there was any opposition or anybody that was saying, hey, we shouldn't be putting these services together and providing a better service. And so I think that was something that was really beneficial for us is from the overarching 30,000 foot view, there's alignment on this is the right approach. Let's go forth and conquer. Now, in saying that, I think there was um, obviously there's some challenges of, uh, you know, there's some partners that were more willing and more helpful than, than others. I think, obviously, sure. um, I, a couple of things I'd point to is I'd say that our third party providers have been great partners. They've been super excited about having somebody that views them as a partner in delivering these services. Um, and so you have 250 of those across all 77 counties in Oklahoma, and they've been really great about um, being advocates, about being giving feedback. They've been great about giving feedback, um, but they've really been really good about trying to really embrace the changes because they agree. They say, hey, we've been frustrated. We haven't been able to provide better services for our citizens. Help us provide services to make you guys look good. And so I think yeah. that's been a huge advantage as well. Um, and then I think the other state agencies are just really excited because it gives them long term. And I think for us, and we've said this from day one, is if we can't get the basic DMV services right, we shouldn't be trusted with anything else. And so the proof <laughs> is going to kind of be in, be in the pudding, so to speak. But I think that we've had, a, had probably at this point over a dozen other state agencies reach out talking about how can we collaborate? How can we yeah. help? How can you help us get, get in front of citizens in a more convenient or, or easier manner? Um, they know that we have a critical mass. I mean, Service Oklahoma does 7 million transactions a year. We collect almost a billion dollars in, in revenue for the state. And obviously, we have a large physical footprint. And so we obviously have a ton of traffic coming to us that we can utilize to help promote and, and put services in the hands of other citizens. And so, um, so no, I think in general, it's been really positive. I'd say the biggest challenge that we have, and I, I, I may say this about 10 times here in our podcast, is um, it really is managing the expectations. It, it's oh. this idea that, yeah, suddenly everything is going to be fixed and be perfect, you know, you know, on day one. And so, yeah. um, and that's what we try to tell people is, hey, we have to crawl before we can walk. We have to walk before we can right. run. 
this is going to take us some time to get this to be the the experience that I'm proud of and that Service Oklahoma is proud of. Yeah. Now, you mentioned a couple of times being that citizen-centric point of contact, and you even mentioned earlier in the conversation the idea of standing up a you know unified call center, unified contact center. That's been a big conversation in a lot of jurisdictions right now about modernizing update contact centers, uh, modernizing data databases. So it's not, I've got your vehicle record over here and your license record over here, but it's one record for you and everything I need to know about you. Um, I'd imagine you know merging the agencies into one uh, was an exciting opportunity to maybe start with a blank page rather than having to patchwork previously existing contact centers, databases. So I'm curious how you tackled that that side of the business. No, so that's a great question. And I think it's one of the very first things that we really focused on from the beginning. And so one of the biggest pain points we kept hearing from citizens is they couldn't get anybody to ever answer the phones. And so as we really looked at the numbers, when it came to driver's license related phone calls, only 6% of the phone calls were actually ever being answered before they came over to service Oklahoma. And so before we took over, um, the state was answering 6% of the phone calls, which I still to this day, I can, I cannot believe that it was only 6% of the phone calls. Um, I had to have that number repeated about 10 times. Um, and so that was really, I think one of our first focuses is one, we just have to get that number up. It's, it's completely unacceptable. Citizens are waiting hours on hold or never actually getting phone calls answered. And so, we took a look at, at really the business flow of what that looks like. And really, again, it put, it, put ourselves in the citizen's perspective of, of what's the experience they want to have as they have a call have a call into a government call center. Obviously, we can't have it be, we don't have the funds to have it be where somebody immediately picks up the call and we'll know everything. That's just not sure. realistic. Um, but how can we make that flow as easy as possible for them? Um, how can we increase where we have their wait time? You know, right now our wait time, I think, is, is right about four minutes uh, for a citizen that calls in on, on our average wait time. Um, we're probably answering over 85% of the calls right now, so we still have a little bit of room to go, but it's been significant gains in that front. But it really is leveraging, one for us, we actually take a step back and say, we wanna take a simplistic view of citizen first, what's the best experience they can have? Let's map that out as a, as a flow and then see what technology solutions can be used to, to optimize that. And so um, we're obviously, I think probably, like every other state in the country is looking at how can we leverage AI? How can we leverage a CRM platform? How can we sit here and, and use technology to our advantage to not only help citizens get information faster, but also help those individuals we have on the call center be able to be an expert on more items and more on more different subject matter expertise as well, because we can bring that subject matter expertise to them in a lot faster manner now than ever before by trying to have different tools at their, uh, their disposal. Mm-hmm. Now, it, you know, it's funny when you talk about it being a uh, startup type atmosphere, it struck me even when I was introducing you that your title is CEO, which is not something you see often in the public sector realm running running a state agency. And I'm wondering, I'm making a leap here that maybe that was purposeful to help reinforce that idea of being a, you know, a forward leaning entrepreneurial startup type environment, or maybe there is a, a different reason. Because I imagine you're a, a cabinet agency reporting to the governor. Is that accurate? So my, my position is appointed by the governor. It has to be, cons uh, be confirmed by our state senate. Um, I am not a cabinet secretary, um, so the right. governor gets to select his cabinet secretaries. And, but no, we are an executive level. We will be an executive level agency. And so um, I think a piece that I didn't mention is that we really, as we started out, were incubated within our state services agency. So 
OMES, which is our Office of Management and Enterprise Services, um, is really where we're a division at as of now. We don't actually oh, okay. spend off become our own actual state agency until November 1st. And so that was something that really helped in our transition as well, is we had some support kind of built within. And so we try to be really purposeful as we created Service Oklahoma to make sure that this is a successful launch that it possibly can be and provide those a supporting infrastructure and a platform to be successful. Um, but to your point, yeah, I mean, the, I think that we're trying to make it seem as if we're not a government agency because we want to provide services in a way that's not, you wouldn't necessarily normally expect from the government. Mm. And so we were trying to provide the services that you'd expect from whoever you think provides the best services in the world, whether that's an Amazon giving you, you know, Amazon deliveries within every single same day or the next day. Um, you know, that's the level of service that we're trying to provide. And that's the, the, image and the expectations we want our citizens to have. Yeah. And we, you know, we're meeting here for the, for the first time. Um, and I, you know, so I'm assuming your, your background is in other places of government service and, you know, customer delivery, if you will, not the traditional DMV space. My, you yeah. know, so what, what, where, where did you come from that you now you've landed? I know that DMV is not the only portfolio that will eventually be in service Oklahoma, but you know, it's the focus right now. So I'm curious as to, you know, your impressions of blending your background with learning about the DMV space of driver licensing, vehicle region title, and all that type of stuff. No. And so I, I think that I was really lucky. And so, um, I, I knew our governor before he, I guess, right when he got elected back, and this has been five years ago, six years ago at this point, um, he made a, a, one of his priorities or his ideas is he wanted to improve how, how our government agencies function. He wanted our government agencies to be ran more like a business. Um, and so he brought in a lot of outside individuals to start running government agencies. And so um, for prior to actually taking this role that he put me in, I actually ran our, our tax commission for almost two years. And so prior to that, I was a private sector guy. I was running a a construction for construction firm as the CEO of that for for a long time and, and did several other things um, running private sector enterprises um, before I came into this space as well. And so I think one of the big advantages I did have is by running our tax commission, trying to optimize and make that more efficient over over a two year period, gave me a really good framework of what you can and can't do within government because government's not like the private sector. I, I think one of the things I hate is when any politician says I'm going to come in and run government like a business. We're not a business. I mean, that's that's not what we're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. We're not, you know, I'm not designed to make money. I'm designed yeah. to give great government services in the most efficient manner I possibly can. Um, and so I think it's a little bit of a different framework. But uh, but no, I think that really having both the private sector background as well as actually seeing kind of firsthand a very short period of time of running the tax commission give me a really good insights to how our state government really runs and what pos is possible and what isn't possible at the same time. Mm -hmm. And in terms of being able to learn the business of issuing a driver's license, or I guess certainly in the tax side, you probably had some of that exposure on the vehicle transaction side being under the umbrella. And then this whole new world of, you know, real ID, like you mentioned earlier, or, you know, mobile driver's license and, you know, identity management, uh, exciting, interesting, you know, stuff that you wouldn't have imagined to pass your radar previously. No, I find it all interesting. And I, I mean, I always love learning new things. So I think at a basic, it's it's exciting to learn something new. I think the DL space and the identity management space in particular um, is really going to undergo a, a transformation over the next five to 10 years. And you mentioned mobile ID. I think there's a lot of different ways. And, and I think from a state's perspective of thinking of what a digital wallet might be and what might be enta entailed in that, I think is really powerful. And But I also think there's a 
something that really resonates with me that I think really, really draws me to this as well is, you know, you mentioned the real ID and the driver's license. That's a, a core item that every citizen needs to get to and from work. But at the same point, another piece that we do, obviously, is the commercial driver's licenses and the CDLs. Mm -hmm. And that really is an economic driver for the state and also an economic driver for that individual citizen. And so we're providing yeah. that citizen with a pathway to get a job. And I think that's really, really powerful um, that the services that we provide enable somebody to put food on the table for their families. Um, it, it's really meaningful to me. So you mentioned, you know, five years in the future for something like a digital wallet, five years in the future for service Oklahoma, you know, you're not a newborn, you're a toddler at that point. <laughs> Maybe the expectations are a little bit differently, not the day one expectations. You know, if you are, if you're to turn around in about, in about five years, what does the service Oklahoma five years look like to you? No, that's that's a great question, and and hopefully we're maybe a little bit more than a toddler. Hopefully, maybe we're on dog years, and you know we're maybe moving into the oh, teen, fair or, <laughs> or teen or early adult days. I'd hope, um, but no, I think at that point, I I think for us, it's no matter where you go in the state, you're getting a consistent, excellent experience. That's an omni-channel experience, whether it's in person, digital, or support center. I think for us, you know, and I'll give a, an example that I think really relates to the listeners is hopefully for us that we actually are, are connecting other agencies together. And so if you come and change your address, either on your car registration or your driver's license, hopefully in five years, that changes across all of state government. There's no reason mm -hmm. why our citizens should have to go and change their address six different times with six different agencies um, for a simple transaction, just as, you know, so that we can communicate with them back and forth. Um, hopefully we're providing other services besides just the stereotypical DMV services. Because I think that provides our citizens with more value. And so that's the, at the end of the day, we want to be the value creator for our citizens and put them at the center. Yeah. And so um, we'll use them to drive where we kind of go next. And it's, it's looking at what they want from us as an experience perspective. And so I think for us, it's, it's really creating that consistent omni-channel experience. Um, hopefully we are changing what citizens think of a, of a DMV and that we're an experience they want to go experience and they're not dreading coming and seeing us, that they actually are saying, this is actually one of the things that I don't mind doing on a Tuesday afternoon in July. Um, yeah. And so I think those are some of the basic things. Um, but yeah, I think that we just really want to become that, that trusted partner for citizens and that they know if they come to Service Oklahoma, they're going to get the right answer the first time. They're going to get their transaction handled you know, during their lunch break the first time. They don't have to come back and see us multiple times to get something done. Um, yeah. that we really are that, that trusted partner for them. Well, and since you are uh, a little bit newer to this, this side of the world, and it's our first chance to meet, so many things what you're talking about are, you know, the things that all of the jurisdictions are, are talking about in terms of customer delivery, service expectations. And so I'm hoping, you know, with, with the recorded button pressed and going, you know, may invite you to really come to Madison to our annual conference in September. I think, you know, you would, um, it would be great for some of your colleagues to be able to meet you and have these discussions and share your experiences of what you're, you're learning in centralizing the functions, making it uh, citizen focused and trade some, some best practices with some of your colleagues from around North America. No, absolutely. And we just sent two representatives to Virginia um, last week and, I, and they came back and, and just debriefed with them on Friday and they had some some great takeaways and, and great things that we can start using. Because um, here's what I'd say is to what you said is that every jurisdiction in the country, while our laws might be slightly different, we're providing the same services. And so That's right. how can we beg, borrow and steal from each other to make the citizen experience even better? There's no reason why 
we have to create something from scratch when another state's done something really, really well already. And so I think that That's there's right. a ton of opportunities for us to collaborate and really, you know, we want to provide a great experience in Oklahoma, but I also hope that Kansas provides a great opportunity experience for their citizens in Texas and Georgia and everywhere in between. Um, Cause there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to, to scale this across the country. That's right. Great. Well, Jake, thanks for spending some time with us today so we can learn a little bit about what's been going on in Oklahoma. It's been quite a journey you've been on, a, a big one, a big undertaking. Glad to hear that overall it's going well and you're off to a great start with the, the new agency. And we'll look forward to more updates and getting to know you and your team better as you uh, tackle this new frontier in Oklahoma. Ian, thank you so much for having me. And, and yeah, we're, we're excited and, and would love to share our story anytime. So thanks so much for having me. Excellent. Thanks, everybody, for listening this week. As always, thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. <laughs>